This week will go down as another dark chapter in the book of American history as we mourn the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. It's time that we start asking the question, what is going on? Is there racism in law enforcement, or is it something else that we might not be seeing initially on the surface? This is the Heath in Pursuit podcast with Heath Hollinsby. Each week we'll have a conversation with various folks who are actively engaged in the pursuit of truth. This is a show where anything can be discussed, and probably will. A podcast for the seekers, the dreamers, the restless, the hurt, and the broken. This is a podcast for you. Welcome to Heath in Pursuit. Thank you, James, and welcome to another edition of Heath in Pursuit. I'm Heath Hollinsby, and uh, this topic tonight is a bit darker. It's a bit more somber, um, but it's one that I think is really necessary for us to have. Uh, As we're recording this um, May 29th, 2020, it's almost 10 o'clock at night, and uh, this week's been flooded with um, news reports that are horrifying, and there's videos that are surfacing on social media. Um, The one that most popular right now is George Floyd in Minneapolis, who was an African-American man uh, that passed away because a law enforcement officer uh, uh, put him under arrest, and we see video of almost nine minutes of this officer with his knee in Floyd's neck, and we hear Floyd's last words calling out for his mother, and... Um, taking his last breath. And there's also the case of Breonna Taylor uh, out of Louisville. And this makes me think of many others, uh, unarmed black people that have been harmed by police. Freddie Gray, Sam DeBose, Philando Castile, Terrence Crutcher, Aaron Sterling, Jamar Clark, Jeremy McDole, William Chapman II, Walter Scott, Eric Harris, Tamir Rice, Akai Gurley, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, Amandou Diallo, Manuel Loggins Jr., I think of Ronald Madison, Kendra James, Sean Bell, Oscar Grant. Um, And as we're recording this, even right now, I've got Twitter on the computer open. And I'm seeing that there are active riots in Atlanta, Minneapolis, Louisville, Denver, uh, and even the White House right now. And something's wrong. Something is seriously wrong. And I don't claim to know all the answers. And I want to make that clear from the beginning. I am a white male that has some thoughts and obviously lives in a place of privilege, and I'm trying to deconstruct that so that I can better care for the people that are on the margins, the ones that Jesus fought for. And uh, and so I just want to remind you that um, the purpose of this show has always been to ask questions, to try to see perspectives from a different angle. We're never going to win this topic, this conversation in one podcast. It's just not going to happen. But hopefully the conversation here is one that is helpful and constructive and causes us to think about an aspect of whatever the topic at hand might be from a perspective that we might never consider before. That's what the pursuit is about. I also think it's uh, important to clarify that um, you might not agree with me on everything, and that's fine. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things that we've, you know, as time goes on, we kind of lose is this sense of... If you're not for me, you're my enemy, and that's just not the case. So um, I also don't agree with every guest that I have on 100%, and that is totally fine, and I actually prefer things that way. And I hope that this podcast is a forum that allows us to have difficult conversations 
not always finding the answers, but at least working towards having those conversations to try to find a solution, try to find truth, try to find goodness in the midst of a world that is uh, really, really, really dark and unfair and cruel at times. And so I want to use my voice to speak up for um, for those who don't have the same voice at the level that I do. And so I want to use that to to uplift people. And so I hope that you show grace towards me as we pursue this difficult topic, um, which is race and law enforcement in America. And, uh, and I thought it would be best to invite my friend Jeff on the show. Jeff is no stranger to law enforcement. He's retired uh, as a Southern California police officer. Um, he's a defensive tactics instructor in different academies and police departments for over 15 years. He's a use of force expert and a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He's also the founder of Cover Now, which is a national law enforcement emergency fund, a nonprofit who gives emergency financial assistance to catastrophically injured police officers and law enforcement families left behind by suicide. So he has a lot to say on this topic, and I thought very few people that I trust more than him and would be wiser on this topic right now. So, Jeff, thank you for being on the podcast this week. Thanks for having me, Heath. I I am uh, honored to be here. And uh, as I said, as I was setting up where we're going to go with this episode, I did say that you and I have been friends for, I think it's now, you know, probably 20 years, pushing pretty close to 20 years, back when we were working a bit together and... Uh, we kind of fell out of, out of communication a little bit, but you know, I'd say the last couple of years we've regained that and I, I would consider you a friend for most of my life. And so, uh, we've had some really good times together and, uh, I just wanted to draw on sort of your wisdom and your thought. Cause you are one of, you always have been, you know, really thoughtful, really wise, um, even 20 years ago when you were significantly younger, um, <laughs> you know, you, you, you thought well with business, you thought well with. Uh, with conflict and and how to deal with people and relationship issues. I mean, you just had a really healthy perspective. And uh, tonight, I'm sitting here um, watching on Twitter. Even even currently on my screen, I've got the recording software and I've got Twitter. And I'm seeing that the results of of what's happened in Minneapolis, as well as Louisville this week. And you know, this is an accumulation of of a lot of things, and it just keeps getting worse. But I'm seeing, you know, as I'm talking to you right now, live. There's riots in Atlanta and Minneapolis and Louisville and Denver, uh, at the white house even. And I'm kind of curious, um, the officer that was involved in this specific instance in Minnesota this week was just, uh, was just kind of, he was arrested today. And I'm kind of curious if you could, from a law enforcement perspective, kind of tell me what what you're seeing going on here. What are the charges? There's a lot of people are calling for murder charges. And I know that is different than manslaughter. Maybe you can kind of spell out, uh, from a, from a police officer standpoint, what the terminology so that we're actually all clear on that. We're speaking with the same definitions. Okay. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll do my best to try to unpack this, you know, the best I can. Let me, let me say this, you know, first and foremost, um, the incident that happened in Minneapolis just days ago is, uh, a tragedy. And yeah. on many levels, um, obviously, uh, George Floyd lost his life, and that's a tragedy in and of itself. Um, yeah. His family's left without him. His friends are left without him. And there's a, you know, there's a country right now that's just we're suffering. And um, you know, so 
first and foremost, I, I, I need to say that it is a tragedy. It should not have happened. It should not have gone down the way it did. Yeah. Um, I, I'm usually silent about these things uh, because of my background. Um, and I am very pro law enforcement, obviously, uh, from my background. Sure. Uh, you know, when you see something like this and, and these types of things happen, it really does put a, a just a complete stain on law enforcement across the nation. I mean, you have yeah. 18,000 agencies in the nation. We have almost 1 million police officers wow. to have an incident like this and, and just put a complete black mark on police officers. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's horrifying and it's sure. horrifying to 99.9% of all police officers. But uh, I'm usually silent about these things for a while until all the evidence comes out. And, th- and the reason is, is because we're a nation of laws. And yeah. um, even when I was in the business of arresting people, you know, I might have had probable cause to initiate an arrest. But that doesn't necessarily mean that person is absolutely 100% guilty just because I had probable cause to arrest them. Sure. Um, you know, so you know, it, it goes both ways, you know, even with the officer, obviously what we saw on video, what I saw on video um, when it first came out was horrifying. I, I was horrified by it. And I saw things right away that I thought I would never do that. And 99.9% of the police officers that I know would never do that. Sure. However, you know, to, to rush to judgment. And I know that's a curse word right now because it yeah. looks like you're making an excuse is just not the right thing to do. There are factors involved. There are things that the public doesn't understand. And um, not to say that there was absolute wrongdoing, there is. And I want to call that out first before we go into to further detail. Yeah. But, um, um, you know, getting all the facts, just like if, if you, Heath, were accused of something, mm-hmm. um, even if there's some evidence against you, you mm-hmm. know, you would appreciate that I waited for, you know, everything to come out for your, statement to come out um and all the evidence to come out before i just said hey he's absolutely guilty sure um, well i think everybody if you've lived any amount of life on this earth you've been accused of things that maybe you didn't do yeah and, absolutely. and i and i think we should share that for both police officers um and for citizens and for everyone that that mm-hmm. a rush to judgment say absolute 100 percent unequivocal murder no doubt about it without understanding what murder is versus manslaughter and things like that Sure. You know, I think can be real irresponsible and um, and then cause further damage, like I think we've seen with with regards to the riots and the outrage um, from even political figures um, that I thought have may have done, the you know, the wrong thing too quickly. Sure. So. So um, would you like to talk about the, the incident itself? Yeah. Yeah, I would say, yeah, maybe we go into to what happened. You as a cop kind of what you, what you've what you see that you know an untrained eye might not um might not be looking for and uh and maybe kind of kind of walk through things that you know that I might be quick to, to jump to judgment on that you would go like well hang on here maybe we just kind of walk through what you saw from the video that is you know now famous and I know it grieves everybody who's who's seen it up to this point okay well, what I'll say specifically about the incident and the charges now, uh, you know, that, that came out today against the officer that was actually, you know, on top of Mr. Floyd. Yep. Um, I agree with those charges based upon everything I know right now. Okay. Um, and, and, and here's the single reason why um, when 
Mr. Floyd went unresponsive. Uh, those officers didn't do anything that we're trained to do. Even mm-hmm. if you think the, the suspect that you're trying to apprehend is faking it, mm-hmm. you, you, we can't gamble with someone's life. When, when Mr. Floyd went unresponsive and it appeared that he was no longer even breathing, the officer, and I did the timeline, okay. the officer stayed on him for another two minutes and 53 seconds. Ugh. And um, when I saw that, and I uh, and I saw the you know the other officer that was standing keeping the crowd back turn around and look when the mm-hmm. people said he's not moving, he's not moving. Check him, check him. Um, mm-hmm. That's absolutely what those police officers should have done. So yeah. I, I did make a a judgment just off of what I saw right there. There's a there's a person that you're apprehending that's underneath you he may very well have committed a crime or what have you he may have fought you prior to sure but when he goes unresponsive underneath you he needed to get off of him immediately and he needed to check his health and he did not do that Hmm. and um so i'm making a judgment about that the other the other parts of it i didn't want to make an immediate judgment about that but just because of that um that is deplorable should have never should have never happened And uh, there is definitely wrongdoing in it. Now, was the wrongdoing racist? Was it um, uh, he's a a career bad police officer? Um, I I don't want to make a rush to judgment there. We we don't know enough yet about that for me to to comment on that, even though I know there's a lot of people commenting on that. Um, Mm -hmm. What we do know, though, is that once he went unresponsive and that was made clear to the police officers, um, they should have um, rendered aid to to Mr. Floyd. Yeah, I agree. Do you um, so, you know, so we have these two officers. What is the, what is the role when you have two officers there? What's the accountability role between you know you have a you have a crowd forming, and so you have to do a little bit of of keeping the peace there. So this backup officer was was he from what you noticed, was he doing his job the way that he would have been taught to do it? Or was he neglecting the situation by not forcing, uh, forcing Derek to, to get off of Mr. Floyd? Um, so here's what I'll say about that. Okay. Um, trying to put myself in that police officer's shoes. I've been there before where we're, we're, uh, an officer is affecting an arrest and then you have a crowd approach. It could be yep. one person or it could be 10 people. Um, you know, Mr. Floyd at that time was already handcuffed. First of all, he was already handcuffed on the ground. The other officer sees people approaching and those people maybe aren't happy. um, Like they clearly weren't. I don't think they were, you know, maybe at the beginning overly aggressive, but that officer should be covering the other officer because you don't want to have two police officers, even three over a suspect you're trying to apprehend. And then you have people coming up behind you that yep. can hit you over the head, grab your gun and things like that. So I sure. would say that he was doing the right thing at that time by covering the officer that was making the arrest. Um, where I believe that he uh, was negligent um, was when Mr. Floyd went unresponsive. Now I know a lot mm-hmm. of people will say, well, why not before that? You know, what, you know, what about him having his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck? Yep. Here's what I'll say about that. Depending on the agency, and again, understand we have 18,000 police agencies in the United States of America. Okay. 
policies and procedures are different from one department to the next. So in all 50 states, we all don't do the exact same things. Okay. So in, in for, for instance, in Southern California and San Diego, uh, the agencies down here, it's, it's all of the agencies, you know, we have a, a basic rule that it's not a law and it's not saying that there's no way you can ever do that, but it is more or less a directive to say, keep away from the head, neck and spine. Sure. Why? Because those can cause a lot of injury to a person. Now, a mm-hmm. lot of times during an arrest, especially when the suspect is resisting greatly, um, you know, it, you know, it's a fight and sometimes sure. suspects get hurt. Sometimes police officers get hurt. Sometimes knees get put on people's backs and even their neck. So that yeah. does happen. But as a rule to sit there for, you know, over eight minutes with a handcuffed suspect and your knee dug into his neck, I would say that that is not right in, in, in any way. It didn't sure. need to happen. The officer could have grabbed his legs and pushed his legs up towards his bottom to stop him from moving. Because sometimes we arrest somebody and they, they, even after handcuff, they try to beat their head against the, you know, the wall or the car or the ground. And even though they're handcuffed, you know, there's situations that, that it's not like, Oh, he's handcuffed. You know, basically it's not a problem anymore. One thing I did notice in the video after watching it multiple times was the crowd, somebody in the crowd said to the officer, just put him in the police car. And the officer said, I already tried that. So the, the officer that was on top of him did say that. What I okay. got from that was, okay, there was a struggle that ensued, ensued prior to this. Now sure. I'm questioning things like this that maybe people don't question. I only see two officers in the video. I've now learned there was more officers there. Yep. But how tired is that police officer that's on, tire, on top of him? How long did he try to place him in the police car? Is he worn out waiting for more people to come because the secondary officer has to cover him. So he can't come over and continue to try to put Mr. Floyd in the police car. If they're exhausted, if they've already been fighting, there's only two of them. So those kind of questions went through my mind when I first saw it. I noticed that the police officer that was over the top of him, his badge was crooked on his uniform. And I just thought very possibly they had been fighting because usually you don't just handcuff somebody and throw them on the ground and stick your knee into them. And of course, we know now from reading the indictment that that you know they they had the uh, the officers body cams that there there was resistance from Mr. Floyd prior, you know, to the video that we saw. So there was a, yeah. a struggle that ensued, you know, prior to that. Hmm. Um, Do you think? You know, tell me about. Um... What you saw, Officer, I think it's Chauvin is how you say it, or, or, or Chauvin, the knee and the neck, is he doing something that is um, renegade in police work? Or is that is that tactic uh, an approved technique that, that would be trained to many officers? Or was he completely jungle style arresting this guy however he wanted to? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And it's a delicate question. Um, some police officers... Uh, would say it's an approved technique, and it may be in some departments to put all of your weight on a hand, all of your weight in a knee on a handcuffed suspect. I believe every department in the United States would say no, that is okay. not an approved technique. However, during the course of an apprehension where you're trying to get somebody's hands behind their back, 
you can watch YouTube after YouTube and you see four officers on a guy, they might be on his back and the guy's still getting up, right? Sure. That happens a lot. So controlling the head from a control aspect is there's more control over your, you know, your, your suspect so that he can't get up off the ground. I don't think that applies here because, uh, he was already handcuffed, Sure, but so, but so there are those times and most police officers that have been on the street any amount of time will tell you, Hey, that's happened. I put my knee in the back of a suspect or on his neck. Did I sit there for eight minutes and do it? No. Sure. But so it, it depends from one department to the next, but I would say as a rule, you know, I, I've taught defensive tactics and combatives to police officers for, you know, the better part of 15 years. I've worked at police academies and I've, and I've gone down from agency to agency and you look at their policies and procedures before you give them a set of techniques. Sure. I've never taught the technique of here you go. They're on the ground, slam your knee into the back of their neck. Why? Because it's, you know, the head, neck and spine are delicate areas and we don't want to cause injury pain compliance. Sure. Depending on the level of resistance from the suspect, but but no, nobody's teaching that systematically that, hey, when they're resisting, throw them on the ground and jam your knee into the back of their head and sit on it. You know, one of the things I was thinking as I watched the video, and again, I mean, there's so much. You know, a few of the, t- the takeaways that were recently pointed out to me is, you know, his last words were calling out for his mom, and he was still treating the officer with respect. And he you know, kept saying, sir, 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 I can't breathe, sir. Uh, I'm just kind of curious what... Um, he, he kept saying he couldn't breathe, and it reminded me of when my wife was giving birth, and the anesthesiologist would say, it's going to feel like at times you can't breathe, but as long as you're talking, you're breathing. It's um, So I don't think the knee and the neck is an intended, let's try to suffocate them. Is there some, is there an, is there a pressure point there? Like, what what is the purpose of that? Because or or was the intent like let's tr- try to suffocate because i go this guy's screaming out and talking for minutes if he w- if he really wasn't able to breathe would he be able to be getting that information out and keep talking or would he have lost consciousness far earlier in the process there yeah well what i can say to that is uh, w- when i first did see it and i heard everybody saying that you know he basically was you know that he had died of suffocation or strangled or that sort of thing because the officer's on him. So therefore he can't breathe. Um, I, I believed at the time that that was not the case just, just from having performed um, so many techniques over so many years over resisting opponents and people sure. that you're trying to apprehend and so on. Um, you and I had talked early on and I said, I think what will come out from the autopsy report is that's not how he passed away. He didn't pass sure. away from suffocation because of the officer's knee. Now I, I want to make this very clear. I, I am in no way, and I think I've kind of already established that in any way, um, am approving of what that police officer did. I think that police officer was absolutely wrong in, sure. in, in what he did. Okay. Yep. Um, however, the reason that it's not just absolutely forbidden to put, you know, a, a knee on the back of someone even, because you might have somebody that's, you know, extremely overweight and unhealthy and just merely putting your your weight on them while they're against the ground could make them feel like, Oh my gosh, I can't breathe because sure. you know, I might have a 220 pound police officer on me and I'm 150 pounds and Oh my gosh, I feel like I can't breathe. Well, sure. you, you can, 
so the, the, here, here's the the uh, the technical portion of it. With that knee in the in, in dug into Mr. Floyd's neck, what can happen is one side of the carotid artery can be cut off from that, that knee. Okay, carotid okay. restraints are still approved in I would say the majority of police departments uh, in the nation, and the and, and cutting off the airway is in the majority of police departments not allowed. Sure. So if you watch MMA and you see like a rear naked choke kind of thing, the reason that uh, that works so fast is because not only are you cutting the blood supply off on both sides of the neck, but you're also cutting the airway off right at the same moment. So it's usually one to three or four seconds before that person's tapping out or they go to sleep because mm-hmm. you're cutting them all off at the same time. With, with the knee into the neck, it can cut off the blood flow. It would be very difficult to cut off the O2, the airway, which is in the center of the throat, and to completely sure. close that off. Now, the reason that I, that I thought early on that's not what the autopsy report's going to find, why? Because Mr. Floyd was speaking, right? So he is speaking, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And I, I have no doubt that he was suffering greatly. And obviously he was because yeah. he passed away. So what was going on internally in his system when he really felt like he was going to die, sure. uh, obviously he was, he was in extreme distress. There's no doubt about that, obviously, because the man passed away. Yep. Uh, but uh, the reason it's just not outright forbidden in every agency in the United States, why? Because I, I would say 99% of the time or more, it's not going to cause great bodily injury or death. Can it? Mm. Yes. You know, it sure could. I mean, if the officer jumped up and landed with his knee in that same spot, it could do major damage to his spinal cord or to his head or whatever. Same thing with a taser, though, right? Like, I mean, occasionally people die because their heart or whatever it might be can't afford the effects of what a taser does to them. 99% of the time, it's going to shut somebody down, but it's not going to kill them. But there are those situations where that does happen, right? That's correct. I mean, we don't know the pre-existing conditions of a suspect. We don't know um, what drugs they have or don't have in their system. A sure. lot, you know, a, a, a fight can lead to somebody's death because they, you know, they have pre-existing conditions. You know, and they could their heart can stop. I mean, a lot of things can happen. So you're absolutely right about that. Sure. Um, but again, that that's why it's not just outright forbidden. You know, uh, because of that, because. Um, if Mr. Floyd was in great health, let's say he was, and the reason I'm saying that he's not is because I read the medical examiner's preliminary autopsy report today. Yep. And what and what, what it came out is that he had coronary artery disease and, and and obviously, you know, that was a factor. Sure. So so you know, that's that's what the medical examiner said. The medical examiner said that he did not die of suffocation. So if this was a different person, that officer would still be just as wrong for what he did. But most people probably would not have died from what that officer did, even though it was wrong. Do you think that there is a benefit to or uh, for um, either unity? When you're talking about these 18,000 law enforcement agencies in America, um, and there are different, you know, what's allowed in certain ones are might be not allowed in others. Do you think that... um, standards across the board of everybody in unified alignment uh, would create more accountability or is it necessary to have certain departments that have leniency on certain uh, 
situations or certain tactics versus others that go, we're not going to go there, but San Antonio might. Is there a plus or minus to, to uniformity in, in those standards? Well, look, generally I would say there, there, there is uniformity in police standards. Okay. There, there is, there is a lot of uniformity in police standards across the nation. Um, but then you get into states' rights and you get into governing agencies in each state over law enforcement. So in, in, in California, you have post police officer standards and training, and they, they, they basically teach the police officers from the academy and their standards and training for those academy students that come out to be police officers in California. And then you go to Oregon and you have DPSST, Department of Public Safe, uh, Standards, Safety and Training or what have you. And there's a governing board for there. There is a lot of uniformity. Having taught okay. law enforcement in different states, there is. But because of, you know, look, we live in different states. There's different laws. There's there's different things they're dealing with. And, um, you know, you get into rural areas where you have one police officer and his closest backup is 30 minutes away. The sure. techniques and the training will be different but but overall it, it's it is uh is pretty uniform let's talk about the um the charges that have now been brought up uh towards officer chauvin um because i you know something i'm seeing online quite a bit is he should be tried for murder he should be tried for murder he's a murderer um but the law you know some people would say oh it's semantics murder versus manslaughter but it's not semantics because it's the law of the land. And so accusations and, and interpretation of certain things do matter. Maybe you could talk about uh, murder versus manslaughter. What is third degree versus first degree? Should he be charged for murder or what would what would necessitate him being charged for murder? Would it be more premeditated? Would it be, uh, what's the difference between that and manslaughter? Um, just so we can people that listen can, can actually go, okay, hang on. Let me make sure I'm actually calling for the right thing. Right. Um, we are a nation of laws and you're and right. We need to be. Yeah, we need to be right. Absolutely. We, we, we need to be. Um, so it changes from state to state again. Okay. So the, the standards are different. The elements of the crime are different from one state to the next murder in general is this. I meant to kill you, right? So intent, okay. intent is, is the factor. Um, if we get into a bar fight, right, and it was mutual combat bar fight, okay, you hit me, I fall over a chair, and I slam my head against the ground from the fall, and I die. Heath would say, I meant to beat the crap out of Jeff. But, but I didn't to mean kill to- him. That's yep. right. But he died during this altercation. You very well could be charged with like a manslaughter type crime, which means you were negligent or maybe you were grossly negligent, meaning you should have never picked the fight in the first place, Heath, if it's found that you've picked the fight. Now, sure. if it's found out that Heath went into that bar looking for Jeff and had told people, I'm going to wipe kill this him guy. Yep. That's right. Then there's a murder charge. Intent is very important. Um, okay. When I first saw this, I thought, yes, there very well could be a manslaughter charge here. Just from looking at it, I thought murder would be difficult. And here's why. This police officer, even though those techniques were grossly negligent, he should not have done what he did. 
you have to think about this for a second. With all these people watching and the cell phone video cameras out, he knows this. He knows his camera's on. His mm-hmm. other officers, you know, body cameras are on to, to say, I'm going to kill this guy today. That's my intent here. Um, not only would he have to be grossly negligent like he was, but he'd have to just be completely out of his mind. Sure. I, I did. I, I thought, yes, he may very well be mad at this individual under him. Is there a possibility that there was racial motivation? Sure. There's a possibility of that. But did he go, I'm going to kill this guy. That's my intent. I'm going to kill him. And I sure. don't care with everybody watching. I thought that would be very difficult to prove. Even if you could peer into his mind and, and he was actually thinking that most people wouldn't do that in front of all these people. Sure. If they weren't under the influence of a controlled substance or something like that. So I didn't think that I thought that'd be very hard to prove just from watching the video. Um, but again, th- those things are important. So when they say murder, 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 I, I get it. Like I understand the outrage. I-, I-, I was sickened by it and I was outraged by it also, but murder is very difficult to prove. And that's why in Minneapolis, what they have charged this officer with is a third degree murder charge, which is, the equivalent that I can tell without reading the statute, you know, very clearly, it's like a grossly negligent manslaughter. And then they've also charged him with a second degree manslaughter. And the reason they do that is if they don't get the third degree murder, they want the other charge, at least the lesser charge of a second degree manslaughter. Uh, Because they, they feel that they can prove that based upon his gross negligence. Well, I think this is a really important part of the conversation, the intent, Um, because uh, when I look at racism, I look at racism as a sin of the heart. It's it's an issue that is an internal thing uh, that often will manifest externally. Had the officer gotten a phone call and, you know, dispatch said, hey, somebody report to here. And, and uh, Officer Chauvin said, oh, I've been looking for this guy a long time, and I've got a beef, and I'm taking him down today. Yeah. That, that's very different than, I just possibly fought this guy for minutes. My badge is ripped up. I tried getting him in the car. Help's not here yet. I'm trying to control the situation. People are filming. It's getting tense. I don't know who's behind my back. Uh, still negligent, but, but I think that manslaughter is his intent Again, we don't know, but there, but there was nothing at this point that says no. This man is a full blown racist who was, who was out to kill, uh, Mr. Floyd that day, and that would be where you can start having the murder conversation. But, but to be calling murder, 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 just by the the law of the land, the definition, you're saying. Now, it leans way more manslaughter from what we can tell right now, which is a gross negligence that resulted in his death versus the intent to to intentionally harm Mr. Floyd because right. he's got a beef. Right. Resulted in or a contributing factor to his death. Right. Now, it, now with that secondary officer, the one who wasn't even on uh, Mr. Floyd, would, would he receive that same charge even though he hadn't had the physical, like he wasn't involved in that, his neck wasn't on Mr. Floyd when he passed? He very well could. And again, I I come from a law enforcement background, not a criminal law background as a lawyer, but just just understanding these things, having been around them so long. Yes, that secondary officer 
and other officers that may that maybe we didn't see in the camera that were right there could also be charged with a manslaughter charge or the third degree murder charge also what would they have to prove that that officer the uh, um, i believe he was asian i i i yeah, I believe I, so, yeah. I, yeah when he was when he turned around and he was looking what what they would need to prove is look he knew by looking at what Chauvin was doing to Mr. Floyd, that that could very well lead to great bodily injury or death, or it was against department policy and Chauvin was doing it anyway. Sure. Those types of things would show that negligence or even potentially gross negligence where he could be charged also. Because what would we expect? We would expect if that officer's mindset was Mr. Floyd is not moving and my partner is still on top of him and hmm. by doing that, it could, it could lead to great bodily injury or death. What would they expect an officer to do? Whatever yeah. he needs to do to save the life of Mr. Floyd or to save him from great bodily injury. Sure. So would he need to tackle his partner, knock him off of him? Absolutely. Sure. No yeah. doubt about it. But they'll, they'll need to prove that, right? Yep. Um, so, so, but, but it, it's going to be a hard one even for that, off, that secondary officer, that Asian officer, when he's looking – and going, you know, everybody's yelling at him. He's not moving. Mr. Floyd's not moving. And he's looking right down at where they're pointing. It's going to be a hard case for him to just absolutely beat, you know, unless he says, you know, my eyes were blurry and I didn't see what the heck. I, I mean, it's like, what kind of argument would you have to go? You can see what those people see. He's not moving. And yeah. you're not yelling at your partner. You're not telling him to get off. You're not going over there checking him. You're just standing there watching. Yeah. And, and so he, they very well, these other officers could very well be charged. I don't, I don't know. I don't think that came out today, just yeah. that Chauvin was charged. So what would you say to people? Because uh, I've heard this a few times the last couple of days is like, what is, what is the, um, what is the standards for how you treat uh, a phone, like a phone call? Like if you're dispatched to a situation and there's a man with a gun aimed, aimed at a child and you can get your, you know, you can get him in cuffs on the ground and put your neck on, you know, your knees on his yeah. neck. That makes sense. But if this guy stole a candy bar or used a, a fake uh, $20 bill, is throwing a guy on the ground and kneeing him in the back till he passes out, like, is that, a, is that an appropriate response to such a small crime? Or, or are, are you guys trained not to... I mean, the result of how you guys act is not based off what the crime is, but upon other factors, maybe resistance or does that question make sense to you? Because some yeah, people so, look at this and go, it's a $20 bill. Come on. Why is he on the ground with his knee in his neck? Is right. that not overkill? Right. <laughs> you know? a- 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 absolutely. It's a great question. And it's, and, and this is part that, that I think, you know, law enforcement um, can, can really help the public understand better. So, when it's not about the crime and and I mean that. So everybody's, there's a lot of people out there right now going, Oh my gosh, I can't believe Mr. Floyd was murdered over a financial crime. Right. Correct. Okay. Use of force has nothing to do with the crime and everything to do with the resistance. Now, again, I, I'm being general here. I'm not talking, I don't want to talk specifically about the Floyd case right now, Sure, but it, w- I pu- I've pulled people over before, right? When when you get a driver's license, Heath, if you remember when you got your driver's license, you basically sign a document with the state that says, this is a privilege for me to drive in your state. 
Hmm. Part of what you're agreeing to is when I get pulled over and those lights and sirens come on behind me, I pull over. When the police Hmm. officer says, give me your license, registration, and proof of insurance, Heath, you have to provide that. That, that, That's what the law says in in all 50 states. Even if you don't think whatever the police officer pulled you over for is valid, that's not where you adjudicate this, you know, in this infraction. You, yep. you do it in court and you agree to do it in court. So I've pulled people over before and I have one instance where I remember very clearly I pulled this, this man over and he did not want to give me his driver's license. And okay. I said, sir, you've, you've, you know, you, there's a traffic violation. It's not a big deal, but I need to see your license. I need to make sure that you're okay to drive and you know, that you have permission to drive in the state of California and blah, 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 blah. We tried everything we could rolled up his windows and would let thus see his driver's license. Therefore I could not give him a citation in which he would sign, not saying he's guilty, but that he promises to appear in court. Like he agreed to when he got that driver's license, assuming he had one. Now I didn't know who this gentleman was. He wouldn't provide it. Ultimately what happened from such a small infraction, which could have been as small as a tail light out. Sure. We ended up breaking the window and dragging him out of the vehicle because as we started pulling him out of the vehicle, he's grabbing onto the steering wheel and won't let go. Hmm. If that man would have died in that incident because of the, the level of force or whatever it was, I can understand how people go, Oh my gosh, police killed this man over a tail light out. No, it, it has nothing to do with the crime and everything to do with the level of resistance. So police officers hmm. use force, for a, for a few different reasons. One is to effect an arrest. Okay. Okay. The other one is to prevent escape. Okay. Okay. Overcome resistance and maintain order. Now, the, the citizens of our states mandate that we do that. We maintain order. We prevent escape. We affect arrests. Sure. The force that's used by a police agency or a police officer or sheriff's deputy or what have you has to do with the level of resistance, not the crime. Hmm. So, so that is where the, a lot of people are are just really, they don't, they don't understand. Now, if you say, if you say, well, Hey, if it's such a small crime, you shouldn't use force. Well, then tell your legislators to make that not a crime. Sure. Right. Then we can't affect an arrest for something that's not a crime. Yeah. So what we're seeing in this situation is not this, you know, they're not, the means of force with him on the ground isn't because of the crime he committed, but uh, very possibly a result of either putting up a fight or refusing to comply. And so at that point you go, okay, now I need to apply force because my job is to, is to either make the rest and maintain the peace. So now if it requires an escalation there, it's not based off what the original crime was that he was called for. That's right. And, and it's important that people know too, that this, this, I do not believe from my years in law enforcement working with police agencies and police academies is some sort of lack of training systemic problem. Meaning the system is not going, Hey, secretly we're going to teach our officers how to kill people. That's not happening out there. Officers are trained to use the minimum amount of force to affect an arrest, prevent an escape, maintain order, the minimal amount of force. Now we're not in a, we're not in a prize fight. So if I sure. go out to make, to make an arrest and you put up your dukes and you're ready to hit me with your fists, I don't want to put up my fists and be mano a mano fear. Why? This is my job. 
and I'm, and I'm representing my state, my city, and I'm the sure. law enforcement officer, so I need to effect an arrest. I don't want to go fist to fist with everyone. Why? Because I'm going to get injured. I'm not a prize fighter. I'm a police officer. So officers yeah. will use one level up. So if you got fists, we may go to taser, baton, OC spray, or mace, something like that. If you pull a stick out that can yeah. cause great bodily injury or death to us, we may pull a deadly weapon out. If you pull a knife out, we're not going to pull up our fists or our baton. We're sure. going to pull out a gun or something like that because great bodily injury and death is imminent to us. So we go one level up, but we use as a rule, as a system approach, the minimal amount of force necessary to affect that arrest, prevent that escape, or maintain that order. That's yeah. how we're trained systematically across the United States. Now, that does not mean an officer like what we just saw is not going to do something wrong, criminal, negligent, potentially racist. That can happen. But systematically, I'll tell you what, the roles have been reversed here. The way police officers were trained when I started my career in 1995 are vastly different. I would say officers are, you know, in a a lot of agencies and a lot of academies, um, they're, they're not trained enough. A lot of officers get their butts handed to them a lot now because they're so careful, so scared about going hands-on with somebody because they don't want to lose their career. They don't want to go to prison. And a lot of more officers are getting hurt now nowadays because they're so afraid to do that. Um, yeah. so it, well, and it seems like it seems something really common, and, and I would argue unfair, is that uh, most of us commentating on social media with such strong opinions are just really bad Monday morning quarterbacks when it comes to the situation. When you are uh, in an unfamiliar situation with an unfamiliar person, you don't know what you're into. It's middle of the night and dark, and you're reacting in, you know, hundredths of a second or seconds even, you know, to be liberal. You've got a family to get home to as well. Your job is to protect the peace. And, um, and I don't know many, like, I can, you could say it's Hollywoodized, but but I've, I mean, I've seen a ton of, you know, I watch body cam, I watch, you know, some of these, some of these cop shows and, and it's really rare if ever to see a cop show up at a traffic stop with his gun out, ready to just out of that operating out of paranoia. But it's really easy for people that see a, a, you know, a, a 20 second Ferguson clip to have so many thoughts and opinions, but it's different in real time when, You've got a guy attacking you, and you're all alone on a side of a highway. You know what I mean? So it's, I, ju- I just think it's so unfair at times the way that people who who haven't sat through a, a real life situation like this, it's so much easier to say, "Well, I would have done it differently." It's like, right. well, yeah, but when you're thinking in real time and it's actually happening, these are split second decisions, and now you've got cameras everywhere, and you got to make sure that you're above reproach on every front. Yeah, and and, and, and you're absolutely right about that, and. You know, it's hard to, to ask, you know, 330 million Americans to go on ride-alongs with their local law enforcement agency. But if they yeah. did, uh, they would see things, you know, a lot different. Now, Oh, and I've done it. I mean, I've got a couple of friends here in Tacoma, and I've done the overnights. And um, and it's fascinating. Like, it really does put a whole different perspective. I mean, when you get in the car and the officer you're doing the ride-along with is saying, you know, if I say this word, you need to get out or you need to sit in the car or if they, <laughs> right, you know, like, there's right. a gun above your head. If something happens, here's where the radio's at. Like, 
I mean, right. it really, it really makes you, it's, it's one of those like, oh crap moments, you know, like what have I got myself into? Cause this could go sour in a split second and I have no clue what I'm doing. And, and the fact of the matter is, is, uh, police officers, not only are trained, they've seen the videos, they know when, when other officers around the country, um, die in the line of duty. Yeah. Um, officers know every day when they go to work that they very well could, could die. They, they yep. know that. Um, and unless look, if you already have a preconceived idea that law enforcement is bad, they're bad people. If you think that way, my words here, as we're talking, probably won't make a dent. Sure. All I, all I can tell you is police officers come out of the general population, same as car salesmen and bankers and everyone yeah. else. They, they, that's where they come out of. And I will tell you that police officers know how fast they can die because they've seen the videos. They've seen the body cam. They've seen these. And, and a police officer can literally walk right up to the window of a car that they've pulled over and get shot in a split second and their life is over. Yep. So, so, you know, they know that. So, you know, they're, they're, they're as police officers, we're, we're always on guard because we know how fast it can happen. Uh, it makes it difficult. A lot of officers that have dealt with that for years and years and years and years, maybe even becoming close to death at times, you know, suffer with post-traumatic stress and other things like that, sure. which can, you know, make them react in wrong ways. You know, I don't yeah. know what this officer, let's assume for a second that the officer that was on Mr. Floyd was a decent person prior to what we saw. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what led to him doing that? I don't know. I mean, it's easy to say, well, he's a racist. We don't know that. I mean, I don't know that. If it, now, again, I want this podcast that we're doing right here to be, um, y- you know, valuable five years from now. So we sure. don't know certain things that are kind of come out. If it comes out that this guy's a flaming racist, okay, then he's yeah. a racist. But but we don't know that right now. We, we we don't know why did he do what he did. I don't yeah. know. I know what he did was not right, but I don't know why he did what he did. Was he was he in a fight? a week before and, you know, got beat up. Was he, you know, w- w- you know, w- what happened that led to this? What happened to the previous call that led to this? Was he angry? Was he yeah. just, you know, did, did he just, I mean, what was in his mind? I have no idea, but I do know this, that police officers, you know, face hor- horrific things all the times and the, and the, and the citizens don't see that. Yeah, and today in, the, in this day and age, we'll arrest somebody, Heath, and this is important to know. Um, it, this happens a lot, and again, you can just YouTube these things and see them. Where a police officer will be arresting somebody, and the person starts screaming, "You're hurting me! You're hurting me! You're hurting me!" The police officer may be going, "Oh my gosh, I'm not hurting this person actually at all. Sure. Why are they screaming?" Well, because they want the crowd to come over and try to lynch him from the police officer because they want to make a huge scene. That sure. happens. I'm not at all saying this happened here, but is it a factor that the police officer might be thinking he's just trying to get more attention? Sure. Because people do that. Now, again, I'm not, you know, what they did and the techniques they used and staying on him after he went limp was absolutely unequivocally wrong. But if you don't know that and you're not in our boots and you don't have that badge on and you're not experiencing all that time. You don't, you don't realize that people do that all the time yeah. to police officers when we're affecting arrests and not even, and knowing 
this person's not hurting. They're just trying to get a lot of attention and people to come over. Sure. So cause so, a scene. Yeah. Right. So what did the Asian officer think that when Mr. Flood was saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Did the Asian officer think, well, obviously you're talking. Yeah, you can. Does mm-hmm. this hurt you? Maybe it does, but I'm not going to tell my partner to get off of you because maybe I ran into this all the time where they're screaming for people to come over and help. Let me ask you this. Um, and this, I think I know the answer, but I mean, I'm curious to hear. Do you think that that outright blatant racism is a systemic issue in law enforcement in America? Because I have got to believe that with 18,000 agencies, and I have, like I said, I have many friends who are SWAT, who are who are PD, um, who are detectives. It's it's not like applying at Walmart for a job. There's a strenuous background check. You don't want uh, blatant racists on your department roster. Um, and, and it seems like many of these agencies do pretty damn good work on the front end to make sure. I mean, I've had some guys that have not passed the qualifying rounds of the psychology tests and the lie detector tests. And they were shocked at like, I was getting phone calls from people I haven't talked to for years asking me if there was any bad blood between me back in fifth grade, eighth grade. So, so is systemic racism a, the hot topic is it makes it look like in, on social media anymore that no, there are racist cops everywhere and they are just out to kill black people. And maybe, but I'm skeptical because I feel like there's checks and balances that, that really stamp this out. Um, I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on that. You worked for, you worked with enough people for long enough. Do you go, Oh yeah, everywhere I go, there's, there's many racists when we, when we suit up every day, <laughs> like, or are you thinking this is blown mm-hmm. out of proportion? Are there stats to prove like, no, maybe this isn't the way it's appearing right now. Just curious on your thoughts on that. Okay. Great question. I remember when I was younger, I was, I think about my first vehicle when I was like 19, 18, 20 years old, something like that. Sure. And I remember learning, from family members like, Hey, when you go in to buy a car, they're going to screw you over. Like that's their job. Yeah, exactly. Right? They're especially right. the used and car I, salesman, right? <laughs> that's it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And again, if you, if you've lived in America for any amount of time, you know about that and you think that, yeah, well, I have friends that are car salesmen and some of them will be like, yeah, in, in our Nissan dealerships, we don't do any of that kind of stuff. That doesn't happen. We're not in a background figuring out how to pack, the person coming in, how to lie to them sure. so we can get every dime from them, give them the highest percentage rate possible. But that was just a, a thing in my head where I'm like, hey, when you go on a car lot, don't trust anybody, right? Like have your card up because they are going to get you. And that was a thing. So if you already, again, have a preconceived idea that, look, any system of government is absolutely 100% completely corrupt, there's nothing mm-hmm. I can tell you. But here, But here's what I'll say. We have so many cities, municipalities across the United States of America that, you know, like in Baltimore, you know, when, 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 you know, when, when there was, you know, you know, police activity there that was, that, that had gotten horrific press, you know, that's when we had a African-American president, Sure. you know, in Baltimore, they had a, a completely African-American city council, an African-American mayor. So w- what I would just ask people to think about for a second is if it's, if it's systemic, meaning, yes, there are racists in there and nobody basically cares. If your city government 
The last thing you want is bad press. You don't want to get voted out of office. You don't want to have an ish, a thing like we have in Minneapolis today if you're city government. Believe yeah. me, they have all lost a lot of sleep. They know their jobs are on the line. This is a horrific thing. They don't want that. What I can tell you that I know is when you apply to be a police officer or a sheriff's deputy in the United States of America, you go through an extensive background where they literally come out and talk to your neighbors. Even though the people you put down on your application, they talk to them and then they say, who else do you know that knows Heath? Yep. And then they go to them. They go, who else do you know? That? They go deep. Then there's a... Well, I, I had a buddy who, who, who went to the psychologist round and he his religious belief said, hey, I don't want to have intercourse with a woman until I'm, I'm married. And they said, did you wait till you're married? And he's on a lie detector. And like, he said, yes. And he was disqualified because the psychologist didn't think that he was able to think for himself that he felt like he was indoctrinated by his parents' religious beliefs and and now he can't reapply. And so, I mean, things like, I mean, it is so strenuous. I, I, I just don't see racists jumping through those holes very easily without being stamped out somewhere during the boot camp process, you know? And, and, and that's exactly right. You know, um, having, you know, having been involved in that process um, and background and that sort of thing, it's extensive. And, and why is yeah. it extensive? Because when you give a police officer, male or female, a badge and a gun, you give them a lot of authority, right? Yeah. Okay. When I pull you over, you have to pull over, even if you don't think you did it. If I say you're yep. under arrest, now is not the time for you to go, I don't think I'm guilty. Therefore, I'm going to fight you. You're not allowed to do that sure. in the United States of America. You have to be arrested. Okay. And then you are allowed to fight it in court. That's a lot of authority to give someone. So we have extensive background checks, psychological evaluation, medical evaluation, physical fitness, all of these things, because we want to put the right people on the street. I don't believe that systemic racism in law enforcement is a thing. Systemically, out of 1 million police officers, are there some officers that are racist? Sure. Just yep. like there's pastors that are immoral and just like there's car salesmen that are going to cheat you. Absolutely. Yeah. To, to, but to, to just think, hey, look, the system is against us and, yeah. and and they're raising these people up to do these things, to hunt these to hunt African-Americans down or people of color or what have you. No. And, and the statistics show that the FBI and federal statistics mm-hmm. are very clear in America. Um each year, um, for the last, I believe, about 10 years, um, statistically in America, people killed by police interaction. Now, we have millions and millions of police interaction, right? You have 330 million Americans. you got a million yep. police officers. There's a lot of police interaction. People that are killed by law enforcement officers on an annual basis, 55% of them are white. of people killed by police are white. Okay. Uh, 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 18% are Hispanic. Okay. 27% are African American. Okay. Okay. So if, 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 if the thing is systemically, there's a racist problem and police officers are literally hunting down black people in the streets, kind of, Thing, which which we hear during times like this, uh, sure. It, it 
officers, it, it puts more police officers in our law enforcement, our justice system, um, really at risk. Because if people really think that, and they really believe that, oh my gosh, we're going to have a lot more physical confrontations, even deadly force confrontations, because it's like, hey, that police officer literally may just kill me. I mean, they, they, and for no hmm. reason. But, uh, but statistically, again, if the stats show, the stats show, and sure. 55% of the people that are killed by police are, are white. Are white, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're killing way more whites than we are African-Americans or, or Hispanics even at this point. Is that is that similar with the ratios of of the of races that commit crimes? Like, are whites committing significantly more crimes than Hispanics and and African Americans, or is it like like are the ratios lining up, or is it like these these statistics are somehow skewed, or do you go no, they kind of make sense? Well, you know, um, again, j- just having dealt with use of force and looking at all the the ratios and the percentages and and the FBI statistics and the federal statistics, local county statistics, all these types of things, um, you know, uh, it, it is disproportionate. Okay, in, in, in especially okay. in metro areas, you know, um, you know, African American males, you know, as a population in the United States, are um, roughly in the in the ballpark of six percent, right? Um, okay. Um, I, I was, you know, dumbfounded t- time ago to learn that, um, especially in the metro cities, that that uh, young African American males are responsible for about fifty percent of the murders. And uh, oh, wait, hang on, hang on, fifty percent of the murders in America, in America, are caused by six percent, roughly, of the population of of the African American population. I, I've heard it as high as six to thirteen percent. But still, it's okay. it's very disproportionate. Now, again, somebody yeah. can look at that and go, "I don't believe those numbers." That, that's fine. I, I, you know, that that's fine. Th- those are what sure. the numbers are. Now, is every city and agency just absolutely lying? Well, we, we we have again, we have so many city councils and mayors and police chiefs and sheriffs um, around the country that are pe- that there are people of color, and just to think, well, th- no, they're just you know they, they're all buying into it also, and they're just falsifying these numbers. Um, sure. I, I, you know, I, you know, we had the George Floyd uh, incident, you know, here just days ago. Um, yeah. Is is the problem in America racist murdering cops hunting down African Americans? I don't believe so. I don't think that that is. You know, should we stamp it out when we find it, like we are now? And I believe the right thing has been done. They were immediately fired, and now we have yep. now we have indictments or at least one for, for the officer that was on top of Mr. Floyd. But, you know, in, in Chicago last week, there was, uh, you know, there was, there was 50 murders, um, you know, yeah, over the weekend, right? 50 murders over the weekend. There was a six year old yeah. African-American girl that died from fire, from, from fire, from, uh, you know, rounds going back and forth. Um, they weren't targeting her, but, but she died. Um, you know, mm. uh, that, that's a major, major problem. You know, we, we have yeah. 50, if we have fifty five percent of of white people killed by police officers each year, can, can you name one? Heath, did you know a, a, a white male or female by name that was killed by a police officer? No. Yeah, and it was, and it's, and it's, it's literally twice as many as African Americans that are killed by police officers. How about a Hispanic? You know, I can't, I can't name any. No. Right. So, so look, we need to stamp out wrongdoing wherever it's at especially when it comes under color of authority from a police officer or a political figure or, or what have you. Um, sure. But where the 
camera gets pointed and what, what, you know, where the, the media and so on decides to point their camera, that's what people see. And that's where they think this is the major, major, major problem. But, hmm. I, you know, th- again, I just ask people, open your eyes, look around, where's the major problem? And again, I'm, I'm not in any way downplaying the, 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 this incident in Minneapolis at, at all. Um, sure. No, I don't think you are. You know, where, wherever the camera's pointed, if there's wrongdoing, there's wrongdoing. But there's a lot of culpability here with with our media in America and so on. You know, yep. um, you know, I, I, I think I think um, black on black crime, um, it, which is the lead, leading cause of death for young black males in metropolitan cities, um, is 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 horrific, and and and, yeah. and the numbers are staggering compared to how many police officers. Um, you know, a police officer contact results in an African-American dying. Um, sure. But, but again, what, what is America thinking right now? None of the major problem is, is horrible police officers hunting down African-American males. And, and, yeah. and I, 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 I disagree with that. The, the numbers don't show that. The statistics don't show that. All of my experience working in multiple states with police officers and academies, seeing the systems of training, you know, what's allowed and not allowed, it just does not support that, that you know, what people think. What is this doing to, again, you're, you're around officers and, and sheriffs all the time. If I was a priest, a Catholic priest, you know, six to 10 years ago when the, when the sex crimes against priests and what they were doing with children was coming out, uh, you know, a, a bad apple ruins the whole bunch. And, and it would be really easy for stereotypes to go, people are probably thinking the same about me when I got up to preach at, a, you know regardless of whether I was the most uh, integrity-filled, uprighteous, upstanding uh, priest out there, guilt by association uh, would have an effect. And I'm curious, what's this doing to the morale of police officers everywhere the more that this escalates? Because it doesn't seem like it's getting better. It seems like with each incident, you know, the, the water keeps boiling. It's getting hotter. I saw just tonight the... Uh, you know, the College Football Hall of Fame was completely destroyed, all the stuff stolen out of there mm. uh, in Atlanta tonight. Yeah. Uh, and I'm seeing encouragement of people going, yeah, this is, this is uh, you know, we, you know, people have spoken up for so long and their voices have not been heard. And so if this is what it's going to take to get, to get uh, governing officials' attention, then yeah, burn down fire stations, burn down police uh, stations. This can't be. This cannot be good for the morale of the of the ninety nine point nine nine percent of good ones that are are putting their life on the line every single day to keep us all safe, right? <laughs> when you just said that ninety nine point nine percent, I can see so many listeners just cringing and going, "Heath, you're out of your mind." Um, yeah. Well, because again, social media wants you to think that at best it's fifty fifty. You got fifty good, fifty percent <laughs> right. good guys, fifty percent. Right racist murdering killer cops that, that's which that's right that, that right but if, if you're a good one and you're putting your life on the line you know and the other situation even from 1995 when you were when you were doing this we've got cell phones we've got youtube live we've got instagram live i mean you're you're immediately uh monitored on everything i, I just gotta think if you're one of the upstanding police officers waking up every day, kissing your kids goodbye, knowing it might be the last because you really do love your community and want to keep the peace in that community. 
I've got to imagine stuff like this is just grating on the good guys too. Oh man. And not yeah. and undermining the entire structure of law enforcement. I mean, I'm seeing tweets that are like, you know, get rid of police altogether. And I'm like, do you, we don't want that kind of world. Let me tell you right now, we do not want that. Um, so I'm just curious if, if there's morale stuff going on, what, what you're, what you're seeing when you talk to cops day in, day out. Oh yeah. I mean, um, when these things happen and unfortunately they do. And, you know, I, I was on the phone earlier today with a chief of police, um, here in Southern California, and also an undersheriff, which is second command, um, a very, very large city in Southern California. And I talked to both of them um, just just today uh, before our podcast here, and um, that, that's absolutely right. You know, it's a, it's you know, here we are. We we've moved a step or two forward, and then now we go about five years back, and it, it, yeah. it's it's it is so demoralizing and horrific when these things happen. You have spouses and partners, uh, you, you know, life partners of, of police officers. Now um, they're scared to death tonight of their loved one sure. going into the street, knowing they're hated. They're not trusted. And why yep. now look, if, if, if it was, it was, if I thought 10% of police officers and imagine that number, we have a million cops to say yeah. 10% are bad. And when I say bad, what's this, you know, what's the, you know, what's the, the, the line here, you know, of demarcation sure. for that. It's, it's, they will, um, falsely accuse you of something. They'll plant evidence. They'll physically abuse you and hurt you. That, that, that's a big deal. If it was as high as sure. 10%, that it would be the most horrific thing imaginable. I, I don't believe it's 1%. I, I, I yeah. really don't. I, um, especially with the background tests that we talked about, like it, if if a one percent margin of people are getting through that are awful racist police officers, that would be I would assume no agency even wants one percent on their radar. You know, I mean, they're going to figure out what it takes to either increase the hiring process, whatever it is, to weed it out to the lowest, absolutely lowest possible number they can get it to. Right, and what are people screwing up right right now? And again, a lot of people that I love personally, close friends, yeah. people that I went to school with. And they're saying things on Facebook like, you know, it's it, enough's enough as if as if this is a, a systemic problem. Right. And and sure. you police officers, you good ones, you need to speak up as if we're not. And and it's a it's it's a straw man. It's it's not yeah. it's not correct. That's not the thing. If if we see a bad police officer that we're working with and we see somebody that snaps to, to judgments or easily goes to a higher level of force than necessary, believe me. You probably haven't heard about it because they're gone and they're gone quickly. Um, so that is happening. Exactly. But we see one incident every few years here that's not just questionable. That's clearly like this one. No, it's wrong. But, but then to go one step further and assume, well, yeah, that's happening every day in every agency across America. The, the good police officers aren't really good, actually, because they're turning a blind eye, which is not the case. Sure. It says, I mean, it's all built up and all these false assumptions and just thinking like, we're not policing the police. We've always policed the police. We, internal yeah. affairs polices the police. I can tell you lots of cops that have been fired for not necessarily criminal stuff, but just misconduct, violation sure. of policies. We do police the police and we do yeah. a really darn good job of it. But again, a million cops, 
are we going to have one that does something wrong? And I'm not even saying racist that does something wrong. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to happen folks, especially in this day and age where we do have all these cameras. Why do we put body cameras on police officers for accountability? Exactly. We're living in a time that is, I mean, if you're a police officer, you're held accountable more now than you ever have been in history. And I think it is a, you know, it's close. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's close to a hundred million calls that come into police um, agencies every year in America. And so I'm going a hundred million calls with high accountability on the cops. Um, And occasionally we will hear these things go terribly wrong. And if we hear of 30,000 of these cases a year, which we're not even close to that, that's a drop in the bucket next to a hundred million. And the other thing that you said that that I just want to say as a civilian who has cop friends is on those ride-alongs. You're absolutely right. It's a brotherhood. It's a it's a sisterhood. It's a family. And and if there's a bad apple in that group, the rest of the officers will chew them up and spit them out pretty damn quick. You know what I mean? Like I've, yeah. you have to trust the people you're in action with. You have to trust the people you suit up with, that you patrol with. And so, you know, if there's if there's 25 good cops and some one cop is a new hire and he's doing shady stuff, you don't think that the other 25 are going to run that man out of town faster than you could imagine? Uh, I, again, uh, right, know? right. And obviously, I would say most Americans are going to agree with 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 that analysis. But again, if you start off with um, a, a preconceived idea that no, 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 they're evil and corrupt. And think about this politicians, right? When you just hear the word politician, it's almost like a curse word now, right? Why? Sure. Because every time a politician does something corrupt, we hear about it. Now think about yep. it. Let's say you're a good person. You grew up in a, you know, a good neighborhood, bad neighborhood or whatever. And you really want to do good by your community. I would say that that at least from the start, is probably the majority of politicians. Okay. Yeah. Now, again, <laughs> we 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 all can name politicians that have been absolutely disgraced by immoral behavior, um, by criminal behavior. Absolutely. So, if yeah. if you are a good person and you want to run in politics, I've I've had friends that have done that. And they go, you know what? I'm running for politics, and half the people in my community are going to immediately assume I'm a piece of crap. Why? Because I'm a politician mm-hmm. now. Well, I get it. Police officers have to deal with the same thing. And let me tell you something. They're all dealing with it today. All, all of them. Yeah. All of them are going out there. They're suiting up, wanting to protect, wanting to serve their community. And they're known that they're hated by a, by, by a great number of people um, because, of, because of this incident and incidents that have happened yeah. in the past. Um, last question, uh, just because I want to respect your time, and also that you know this is a heavy conversation to be having, and and so I think hours of it would not be uh, the easiest thing to get through. But um, you know, through your journey of, of a police officer, you also you also spent some time where I first met you in uh, serving in a church as a minister, and I'm kind of curious um, on your thoughts of of what you might say to people who are people who would hold a faith um, and how they might be able to, to respond in a way that reflects uh, the values of Jesus in this situation versus uh, the encouragement of adding chaos to an already hectic situation. So the reason I'm asking this is, again, 
uh, I'm seeing so much encouragement on social media of people saying, uh, people have voiced their, their opinions long enough. They haven't been listened to. So yes, this writing is appropriate. And somebody said today, like that's never worked. And someone said, well, obviously you didn't read about the Boston tea party. And I'm seeing, uh, you know, looting, burning down, uh, businesses, uh, theft. I mean, and there's an encouragement like, yeah, stand up to the system. Let them know we're not going to quiet down. What words would you have to people that have maybe a spiritual bent going? How do, how, how can I, how can I step in and, and be, um, a peacemaker in this situation? How do I step in and, and, and fight for those marginalized people like Jesus would, because they're valued, uh, in a way that reflects, a. uh, uh, a spiritual worldview versus adding just chaos to the situation. Whew, that, that, that's a, that's a deep one. That's, um, that's very deep. Um, I, I don't know sure. if I'm going to adequately answer that question because everybody's feeling different things. You know, um, if, if you come at this where you believe that there is a systemic, uh, racist, um, criminal cop problem, in our society, um, I think the view would be, sure. Hey, we tried to, you know, you know, put a knee down at football games and that wasn't enough. So sure. what are we going to do? We're really going to get your attention America and we're going to, you know, riot and we're going to burn down buildings. And we're so enraged by this corruption and sure. murder by law enforcement that we, if you come at it from that view, I get it. I, I understand. I get it. I mean, if, if, if I really yeah. felt that, that my community was being hunted down and murdered, um, I, I get it. I, I understand the rage. Um, what, what I'll say is I, I don't believe that's the problem based upon everything we talked about tonight. So what you have is the, the, the law enforcement in the city is going, Hey, we're really doing the best we can to try to police ourselves, to try to give the proper training and this kind of thing. That's really not the problem. So you're rioting and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're expressing your, your anger, your anger and your outrage. But folks, we really are honest, loving people that want to help you in city government and in local law enforcement. So everybody's just kind of at a loss. Law enforcement is going, Hey, we are receiving good training. Hey, we do mm-hmm. care about the people in our community. Hey, we're not hunting down uh, people of color. We, we, we don't, we're not doing that systemically. Um, so now it's just going, does that solve anything? And that's why you have so many leaders saying it doesn't solve anything to do that. Because why? Because, mm-hmm. because that's not the, that's not the systemic problem. That, that's not it. So if, if you're going to have outrage and start committing crimes and looting businesses and burning down your neighbor's business or their home or whatever, sure. th- that's why so many of us feel and how you and I feel that this, that that's not productive. It, it's not really productive. Um, we don't need to go to war with the police or our local governments because they're doing sure. such a horrendous job taking care of our communities. We don't believe that's the problem. That's not the problem. So the, so those crimes don't lead anywhere. Plus from a, you know, from a religious perspective, it's just, um, you know, that that's not the way we win over our enemies. We don't, 
you know, the Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And, and, and that's what we fight against. We, we, we don't fight evil for evil. It's sure. like, okay, you did something wrong. So now we're going to go and, and, and do the same thing to you if we deem it evil. It, that's never worked. It's never worked in society that, um, and, and as a, you know, as a, as a believer, as, as a, a, a man of faith, that doesn't solve this problem. So as a, as a, as a Christ follower, um, to try to, you know, emulate Christ and follow him, that's not what solves it. Yeah. But listen, I, I get the outrage. I understand if somebody, if, if George Floyd was my father, and this happened, my blood's boiling right now, just to think about how much I love my father. And if I saw a police officer yeah. do that, I, I would, I, 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 I wouldn't be able to think straight. I get it. Um, we're as outraged as you over that, but to, to you know, to, yeah. to find peace in these things and to listen to each other. I know it seems so cliche and, and, but, but that's really what it is. And it, it's, it's up to our police officers, our law enforcement, our city yeah. governments to listen. And, and so everybody really believes we're heard yeah. to be transparent Here's how we're training. Here's what we're doing. We're transparent. Transparency is a, is the disinfectant, right? So, yeah. so it's things like this, as opposed to just rage, outrage, and anger. That that's not the answer. But yeah. transparency and love for one another, listening to one another. This is how we combat any any wrongdoing, any potential evil in in society or our families. This is what we do. Yeah, and I think um, I think it's a really great response. I constantly am going back to the Beatitudes and going, like, blessed are the peacemakers, not just the peacekeepers, but the makers that go into the chaos and say, I'm going to reflect Jesus and bring peace to the situation where there is none. Um, and it's just a very different approach than the eye for the eye. Uh, yeah. You know, it doesn't minimize at all. And... I, you know, I think you actually have a footing here because you married into a family that is very mixed. I mean, your father-in-law, who was one one of the men I most respected my entire life, is a was a, a very strong leader in the community, African American, but he also knew identity based off what his faith was determined, and and his approach was just really, you know, it, it was never let's encourage the chaos because if we you know, if we just scream a little louder, finally, we're going to be listened to. That just doesn't work. Uh, and so this has been a really helpful conversation um, for me to rethink some of this stuff. And again, as I set up on the in, the intro to the podcast, this is not, you know, if people are coming here going, finally, I'm going to have answers that, that solve everything. That that wasn't the intent of this podcast. But hopefully what, what this did was cause people to consider things they've never thought through before. And and um, and hopefully that carves a way for us to move forward where everyone is created equally and everyone is treated equally uh, in light of that because um, that's the way that we were that we were made. So thank you for your time on this tonight. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it, and uh, I hope this uh, I hope this does help you know in in, in some way. And uh, I pray for our police officers. I pray for the Floyd family and friends and uh, the city of Minneapolis really our country that's just really suffering right now confused suffering hurt and uh i I do i do pray and hope that uh 
that we can repair as a country and become stronger through this. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Heath in Pursuit podcast. We look forward to being back with you next week. For more information on the various works of Heath Hollandsby, please visit heathinpursuit.com.